Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Monday, July 6th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening, and when you have a spare moment, leave us a review in your podcast app. Those reviews really help us a lot. You can follow our department across all social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. And now, Supervisor Barger. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's briefing. I'm Supervisor Katherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. I'm joined today by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Department of Public Health, to provide an update on the county's COVID-19 case counts. Working with our partners, the county continues to increase testing capacity and accessibility throughout the county. We are now able to test approximately 26,000 people per day. With this increased testing capacity, we continue to see an increase in positive cases. The county reported its highest case counts over the weekend with more than 7,000 new cases between Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The positivity rate for those who are being tested is at 10% over the last seven days. This shows that there is an increase in community transmissions and that there are many individuals who are infectious around us. Therefore, it becomes even more critically important to practice physical distancing, to wear face coverings, and when you leave home, to wash your hands regularly and stay home if you are feeling sick. And please, limit the amount of time you spend outside your home. And individuals with pre-existing conditions should stay home as much as possible. This is a measurably difficult and a stressful time for every Los Angeles County resident. And I know many residents are taking the necessary precautions to keep their families and their neighbors safe. These precautions are essential to protect everyone's well-being and help us move on our path to recovery. We must work together to ensure we balance the health and well-being of our communities with our economic resiliency efforts. Last week, we convened the fifth and final meeting of the Los Angeles County's Economic Resiliency Task Force, which brought together 13 sector leads to provide input and develop plans to support safe reopening and recovery. These reports developed by the task force members will serve as a critical roadmap as LA County continues to identify safe and sustainable options to allow residents, businesses, and organizations to return to work. The experts on the Economic Resiliency Task Force were able to shine a light on the unseen impacts of coronavirus and long-term economic impacts within Los Angeles County. There are many businesses making meaningful investments to meet new safety measures to keep their crew and customers healthy. To support businesses, the federal government extended the deadline to apply for aid under Paycheck Protection Program. Businesses now have until August 8th to apply for a loan. For more information and to find out how to apply, please visit the U.S. Small Business Administration website at sba.gov. Locally, we've established the LA Regional COVID-19 Recovery Fund. Through a partnership between Los Angeles County, the City of Los Angeles, and the institutional and corporate philanthropy, philanthropy, we are making available funds to help small business. The Recovery Fund offers loans and grant resources to micro entrepreneurs, small businesses, and nonprofits. It also provides coaching and technical assistance to all applicants 
who need help during the submission process. For more information on this recovery fund, please visit LACOVIDfund.org or visit county's COVID webpage at covid19.lacounty.gov. Together, we can carefully continue our path toward recovery. It will take us all working together to keep our communities safe and maintain our progress to continue to try to bring back down the curb. With that, I would like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer up to give you the daily count. Thank you. Uh, thank you uh, so much, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire board for your continued leadership throughout this pandemic. And good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I wanted to start by just saying I hope that everyone found a way to have an enjoyable 4th of July holiday. And although the weekend was vastly different from many of those in the past, I do appreciate all the efforts uh, people made to try to find a way to celebrate safely. And I also want to thank the businesses and the individuals that are working so hard to adhere to the protocols that we have laid out, which are now more important than they ever were. And I know it's not easy, especially when uh, we've uh, had to change uh, what's been expected of both businesses and individuals. So I appreciate the flexibility as well. I do want to remind us that we are in a new chapter of our response. And unfortunately, where we are today is different than where we were two, three, or four weeks ago. Cases are surging, hospitalizations are increasing, and mostly, this is all a reflection of a lot more community spread. All of us, businesses, individuals, and here at the Department of Public Health, we have to be willing to take action quickly as our situation has evolved. Any modifications in the health officer orders are always done in the name of preventing more cases, more serious illness, and more deaths. And before I update you on our current status, I do want to thank the media and so many others for their patience over the last several days as we updated our data processing systems. As we reported out yesterday, uh, we sadly hit another milestone when we saw our highest number of new cases in a single day last Friday at 3,187 new cases. And to prevent more days with high case counts, we do need to recommit to all of the efforts that are required to slow the spread and to act together. And now to update you on our current status. I am sad to report 48 additional deaths today. 33 of the people who died were over the age of 65, and 28 people over the age of 65 who passed away had underlying health conditions. 13 people who passed away are between the ages of 41 and 65, and 12 people in this age group had underlying health conditions. And there was one person who passed away who was young and between the ages of 18 and 40, and this person also had underlying health conditions. Of the 48 deaths that we're reporting today, 16 were people who resided in our skilled nursing facilities. Information on the one death reported by the City of Pasadena is available at cityofpasadena.com. Gov. This does bring the total number of deaths in our county to 3,534 people. And to everyone who's lost a family member, a friend, or a loved one, we grieve with you, and we hope that you find comfort in this unimaginable time. 
and we do send you all of our condolences and our prayers. 93% of the people who have died from COVID-19 did have underlying health conditions. And for the 3,283 people who passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 44% are Latino, Latinx, 27% are white, 16% are Asian, 11% are African-American, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. Today, we're also reporting 1,584 new cases. As a reminder, usually on Mondays, we have a lower count as we don't get reporting from some labs over the weekend. This does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 116,570 cases. These cases include 4,379 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 1,401 total cases reported by the city of Pasadena, each of which have independent city health departments. We're also reporting that among our confirmed cases are 732 people experiencing homelessness. 267 were referred to isolation and quarantine sites where they could appropriately isolate for the duration of their illness. There are currently 1,921 people who have confirmed cases of COVID-19 and are hospitalized. This is the highest number that we've been reporting uh, over many weeks. 28% of the people are in the ICU and 18% of the people who are hospitalized are on ventilators. We've also investigated a total of 802 residential settings, congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Of these, 619 are, being, are currently under investigation and 183 are sites where we've closed investigations. As a reminder, that happens after 14 days with no new cases. These settings include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, correctional facilities, workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 20,108. This includes both staff and residents. 12,204 of the confirmed cases are among residents and 7,904 are among staff. I am really sad to report that there's 1,858 residents in institutional settings that lost their lives from COVID-19. 1,705 residents resided in skilled nursing facilities. To all those who are coping with the loss of someone close to them that lived in one of these settings, we offer you our sympathy and our prayer. We're reporting 3,001 confirmed cases at some point in jail facilities, 2,692 among people who are incarcerated as reported by the Sheriff's Department and 309 among staff. There are 185 cases in the state prison, 128 among people who are incarcerated and 57 among staff. And there are 760 cases in federal prison facilities 741 are among people who are incarcerated and 15 are among staff. There are now 70 cases in the juvenile facilities. 27 are among youth and 43 are among staff. And to the family and the friends 
of, of all the people who have passed away uh, in our uh, jails, we also extend our sympathies and our wishes for healing and peace. You can find information on confirmed and suspect cases in these facilities, as well as a dashboard on testing, case and death data, and our recovery dashboard if you go to our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. Uh, today, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is reporting 523 positive cases among staff, 622 staff are quarantined, and 1,942 staff have returned to work. And we all mourn the passing of an LAPD officer uh, who also passed away from COVID-19 over the weekend. Our hearts and prayers are with their family and friends as well. The L.A. County Fire Department is reporting that 1,537 staff members have been tested for COVID-19. 112 staff tested positive, 20 are isolated at home, 56 have returned to work, and 56 are homesick. Thank you very much, Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby, for providing us with this information. There's over 1.1 million COVID-19 test results for individuals that have been reported to the LA County Department of Public Health. And the cumulative total of positive uh, cases is at 9%. But the seven day average of daily positivity is now at 10%. Again, an indication that we are in fact seeing a fair amount of community spread. I do wanna update you on some of the recent trends that we're seeing. Um, and please advance uh, to the first slide. Uh, this slide shows us the seven-day average of the daily percent of positive tests over the course of the pandemic. You can see that there was a significant dip in the positivity rate as testing became more available and many more asymptomatic people were tested. But you can also see that our positivity rate has started to increase over the last month or so. We'll take the next slide. As you can see on this next slide, there's a significant increase in the percentage of cases amongst 18 to 40 year old residents. The green line, the green line now shows that almost 50% of new cases occur among younger people. And then those younger people are spreading the infection to others. We'll take the next slide. At this slide, we're looking at hospitalizations over time by age group. Historically, you can see that those who are 65 and older were the age group with the highest hospitalization rate. This is the orange line. But there's been quite a shift over the last few weeks as hospitalizations for 18 to 40 year olds, which is the blue line, and 41 to 64 year olds, which is the red line, have increased and the percent of hospitalizations for the 65 and older uh, group have now gone down. The rate of hospitalizations for youth and children under the age of 18 has remained low, although there's been a slight increase here as well. So let's think about why this may be happening. And I'm gonna share some information now from the Understanding America study that's administered by, the, by USC's Dornsife Center. And this helps us gain a better understanding of individual behaviors that may be contributing to the rise in cases. Please advance the slide. The percent of residents who have remained in their residence at all times except for going out for essential activities or exercise continues to drop. 
At its peak in early April, 86% of residents were remaining in their, res in their homes. That number has dropped over time, and it's now at 58%. Please advance to the next slide. The survey also shows that the number of people coming into close contact with people not from their household has increased, rising to 55% uh, in, at the end of June, uh, from, up from 31% at the beginning of April. The next slide. And as we reopened, the percentage of L.A. County residents who were worried about running out of food has dropped significantly. The next slide. And additionally, the percent of L.A. County residents with some form of psychological distress has also dipped over the last two months. The next slide. And we're also seeing the percent of L.A. County residents who reported that an outbreak could pose a threat to their, former, to their financial security also dropped. And this is the good news about reopening, is that in fact, uh, for many people, it's provided some very important and much needed relief. Next slide. With reopening, however, workplaces are increasingly becoming exposure sites, as nearly 43% of LA County residents have a job that requires close contact with other people on a daily or near daily basis. Next slide. And finally, there is an increase in residents who are concerned about lifting restrictions too quickly, with nearly 79% of residents reporting that they're concerned right now that restric restrictions are being lifted too quickly, as opposed to not quickly enough. You can remove the slides. Uh, it's clear that after months of quarantine, combined with the reopening of many sectors in the span of several weeks, we've had a lot of people disregard the very practices that allowed us to slow the spread. And unfortunately, this cannot continue. Our inability to follow the most basic infection control and distancing directives leads to serious illness and even the death of the people we love and the death of those who are loved by others. And the evidence is overwhelmingly clear about the impact. So it requires us, if we do not find it in ourselves, uh, to actually continue to adhere to the social distancing and infection control practices. It finds us in a place where we're slowing down our recovery journey. What we do now will determine where we are in three to four weeks. And we do need to return by then to lower daily hospitalizations, less new cases, and less deaths. And I know that everyone is extraordinarily tired, and they're tired of having to deal with this virus. But I also know that this is not forever. The sooner we can all recommit to taking care of each other, the sooner we get back to creating a new normal, where we go back to work, to school, we see our friends and our extended families. And it's not easy, but it is straightforward. Avoid the three Cs, crowds, confined spaces, and close contact. And always wear face coverings and physically distance when you're around people that are not from your household. And now I'd like to open it up for questions. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if you do wish to ask a question, please press one then zero at this time. Our first question will come from the line of Josh Haskell with ABC7. Please go ahead, your line is open. 
Hey, Dr. Ferrer, hoping that you can clarify for us what exactly is happening at the Dodger Stadium testing site. Is it open today? Is it closed? Our pictures uh, show right now that it looks closed. Is there some type of a funding issue going on with the nonprofit that runs it, really hoping for some clarity? And was it supposed to be open today? So I'm going to have Dr. Galley, uh, Christina Galley, answer that question for you. She's over testing Department of Health Services. Dr. Galley? Hi, thanks for that question. Uh, yes, we have heard that the city has closed the Dodger Stadium site this morning, and it would be best to direct the questions to the city. We'll go on to the next question. That question comes from the line of Colleen Shalby with Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, just from the numbers, you know, it looks like the death rate is still declining, and I'm wondering if you could spell it out a little bit. Does it have to do with the fact that hospitalizations and cases have uh, are affecting younger people more? Does it have to do with not seeing as many deaths in congregate settings? I'm just looking for more explanation. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you, you hit on two, two factors that are very important. Uh, the first is that we have had a decline in deaths, thankfully, uh, in the skilled nursing facilities. We need to continue to do work there to make sure that we don't see an increase there because, as you know, with more cases in the community, it becomes easier for employees, unfortunately, to be infected, to be asymptomatic, and to reintroduce a disease in the skilled nursing facilities where we've actually uh, had no new cases in the last 14 days. But that is one reason. Uh, the second reason is we are, in fact, as you noted, uh, we, we see more younger people uh, who are both testing positive, and in cases uh, now we have evidence they're also being hospitalized, but they are, as a group, not as individuals, less likely to die. I mean, we do have, as I report all the time, young people who are, in fact, passing away uh, from COVID-19, uh, but they are, as a group, at less risk than older people, and particularly people who have underlying health conditions. But the real factor that I think is playing into the numbers that we're seeing now is that we often have a delay uh, in deaths from when we start seeing increases in, in cases and in hospitalizations. Uh, so deaths will often lag behind slightly. Uh, as much as one, two, or even three weeks, uh, people often uh, get sick uh, after they're infected. Uh, then they may go on to develop more serious illness that requires hospitalization. Our hospitals are amazing places. They save countless lives. Uh, and even, unfortunately, for people who end up dying, they often get very good care as people try their very best um, to thwart death for those patients. Uh, so you can have this lag time of two to three weeks. Uh, but I appreciate, I appreciate the, the concern about the deaths. And we'll go on to the next question. That comes from the line of Joy Benedict with CBS2. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you, doctor. I just had a question. I don't know if you were able to get out and about over the holiday weekend. Um, do you have any idea of how you think folks here in this county did as far as following the guidelines and trying to social distance? Um, well, I'm, uh, Dr. Ferrer wants me to answer, but I'll just make mine brief and I'll let Dr. Ferrer come up. Obviously, um, over the 4th of July weekend, especially on the 4th of July, we saw a lot of fireworks uh, taking place in the community. Um, I think that the numbers over the next, what, 14 days will really determine if people really did um, abide by the fact that we need to um, not get together in large groups, barbecues, all that type of thing. I know that we canceled all the fireworks shows 
Uh, and so I think that the next two to three weeks are going to be telling, but Dr. Ferrer, if you want to exa I mean, I think that's really the, the line that we look at. You know, Supervisor Barger is absolutely right. Like, we won't know uh, for another 14 days uh, exactly what the impact of, of this holiday weekend was. We do know what the impact was of Memorial Day weekend, and that's when we started to see the increase in, in cases and then the resulting increase in hospitalizations. And I'm really hoping that that's not what we're going to see. I want to thank everybody who did their very best to find a way to celebrate uh, without being in a crowd and without going to crowded places and staying uh, with their household, because I know that that was extraordinarily hard. I, I do also want to say that um, there are so many instances where you can walk around and you can see people doing everything that they need to do appropriately. But then there's also instances uh, where you can see at the garment district, I noticed, uh, you know, people just in crowded situations without wearing face coverings. Uh, you know, at the beaches, you know, ample evidence that while some people are staying in their small household, you have large groups, party groups, you know, people 10, 15, 20 young adults, uh, no face coverings, uh, going out to have a really good time at the beach. And, and while being outside is far better than being inside, uh, being outside in close contact with people who are not part of your household uh, you know, really does create a risk, uh, particularly as you're sharing food and you're sharing drinks, which is what we've seen. Um, it's very easy for there to be an outbreak uh, that happens because of that situation. So I ask people, as you move forward, let's uh, figure out how to dig deeper into whatever, we, whatever reserve we have left uh, about how we're going to get back on track. We'll take the next question. And that comes from the line of Claudia Pesciuetta with KNX Radio. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask what were the improvements that were made to the data processing system? And then also more experts are saying that there is airborne transmission of the virus. Do you believe that's the case? And if so, how might that change the county's response? Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, thanks a lot, Claudia. We did have to upgrade our data process, processing capacity. Uh, as you can imagine, um, we have an overwhelming amount of data that gets fed into our system every day. And uh, between our servers and the back-end operations, uh, we were just uh, in, in trouble. Uh, and some of you know we had delays for a couple of days over the last couple of weeks in reporting out in a timely way because our system, frankly, crashed like many other systems are. So we're hoping uh, with all of this upgrading that we were able to do, and again, thanks everyone for your patience, uh, our system is, is much more robust, and it's able to process and process quickly uh, the millions and millions of pieces of data that are being entered on a regular basis. Um, and in terms of your second question, which was, uh, could you just repeat the second question? Uh, so we're hearing from more experts oh, yes. who say there's airborne transmission. Yeah. Do you think that's yeah. true? And how you know, that I, I think... Um, from the very beginning, uh, there have been questions raised about how this virus is transmitted. Uh, and there's ample evidence that the primary route uh, is still respiratory droplets. But it is not impossible at all to think about situations uh, where you can have uh, an airborne, uh, you can have sort of aerosolized virus, which is really what then makes it airborne. I want to be clear, this isn't airborne like measles. If this was airborne like measles, uh, we would have many, many more thousands and thousands of cases. 
But I do think in conditions, particularly if people are going to be indoors, uh, if people are going to be crowded, if people are not going to have face coverings on, the opportunity for it to linger in the air and spread, particularly if there are fans or air conditioning that's blowing, is definitely there. And given that it's a new virus and we're still having a lot of research done uh, to try to actually get all of the information we need to be definitive about these answers, it is why we've been saying for the last month, outside is always better than inside, particularly when you're not with members of your household. And if you are inside, uh, all of that distancing that we ask you to do and wearing those face coverings, you can see why how having those protections built in would definitely be helpful. Uh, we'll take the next question. And that comes from the line of Patrick uh, Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. hope I can do a couple of quick fact checks before I get to my real question with some meat. But I wanted to make sure I heard correctly that an LAPD officer passed over the weekend. Wondering if you have any additional information to share on that. The uh, statement on the website over the weekend was kind of vague about the deaths over the past several days uh, with a generic lump number of 30. I wonder if we have any more specificity on that. And then a couple of specific questions. Uh, Dodger Stadium, the, the major testing site in the county being closed four days in a row, how much does that affect our being able to keep track of the progress of the disease? And uh, on the enforcement side, um, has the county uh, compelled any businesses uh, to close temporarily directly for COVID reasons other than L.A. Apparel in, in the past few weeks? Thank you very much. I hope I didn't overload you. No, that's you know what, Patrick, I'll have Dr. Galley. Do you want to answer the first part of the testing capacity um, as it relates to outside? I know with Dodger Stadium, we're asking you to contact the city, but in terms of capacity in the county, Dr. Galley can answer that, and then we'll let Dr. Ferrer. Thanks for the question on testing. So, uh, yes, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Dodger Stadium has been closed and is closed today. I would direct you to the city for specific uh, questions on their logistics and their staffing as that's being operated and funded by the city. However, with respect to the overall uh, testing capacity in the community, there continues to be high demand for testing services. We opened up 6,000 slots this morning. Those are currently full. We'll add additional slots and open those up over the tomorrow and the next day. We're also looking at adding new community-based testing sites and are in the process of finalizing that plan. We'll provide further details about the locations of those community testing sites as we get closer to launch, but we're looking at opening up somewhere between five and ten new community testing sites. And that's in addition to the opportunities for people to go get testing with their providers. So I would always still encourage people as one first option. If you have a provider or you have insurance to call your plan about in-network testing options, Options in addition to calling your personal health provider. Turn it over to Dr. Farrar for the next part of the question. Yeah, thanks so much for those questions. So, uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, we did hear about the passing of an LAPD officer, and I would encourage you to get more information from LAPD. Um, the death count over the weekend, uh, we have to confirm all the deaths, so uh, that's why it was so low. We never report deaths that we haven't confirmed. So you'll start seeing those show up in our daily count as we confirm more deaths. Uh, always our deaths uh, happen over, you know, they could happen over the last two or three weeks by the time we get all the information uh, we need to actually confirm that it was a death. 
uh, that was associated with COVID-19. It does take us a while to get all of that information in. So we'll continue to update uh, those numbers, but that, that is why that number was artificially low because we couldn't do uh, some of the confirmations. And in terms of closed businesses, yes, uh, our inspectors did close a handful of businesses uh, over this weekend. Uh, those were businesses that were completely not in compliance. I will say probably uh, the main reason was that they were continuing with inside in-person dining, um, and those sites have been closed. And, you know, we remain uh, really committed to working with all of the businesses so that they can come into compliance, but obviously uh, there is a restriction uh, from the governor and from our health officer order that does prohibit uh, any dining that's uh, inside for people. You can still do pickup, you can still do takeout, and if there's opportunities to eat outside, that, that is also allowed. But in person, inside dining is not. We'll take the next question. That comes from the line of Jim Roop with Westwood One News. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Well, thank you very much, and good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to get back, if I could, for a second, to the airborne transmission uh, theory that is out there. Again, some 231 or 239 scientists, whatever it may be, 32 countries, and are on this. Now, as I understand it, there has not been the ability to grow the virus from aerosols in a lab. So that would suggest that airborne transmission or aerosol transmission uh, is low on the priority list here. So what is it that is making people a little more, what's happening with the virus, what's the activity that's making that a concern right now? Can, can, can you define what that might be? Why is the concern raised? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, so I think one thing that happened is, you know, there's a lot of research that's happening. And really, some of it is like these case studies that get published. Some have been peer-reviewed, some have not. Uh, but there is there's, uh, sort of mounting evidence from these case studies, sort of uh, a case that happened, this was in Europe, not here, where people were eating in a restaurant, a woman got sick and, and was positive, and uh, people that were sitting like five tables away or not very close by also ended up uh, having an exposure at that restaurant. And uh, it's been traced back to this one case. And that's sort of some evidence that suggests that something was happening, because it wasn't just one person. I think there was a, a group of people uh, in the restaurant that ended up getting sick that weren't really uh, very close by to this one person. There's the situation where, that you've all, I, I know, have read about, is about what happened with the church choir, uh, where folks were distant. Uh, and there's some thought that particularly an activity like singing uh, may in fact uh, actually create a more opportunity for an aerosolized virus exposure, um, and that the transmission happened so widely in that setting that people were again looking at this case evidence to suggest that something else might account for this uh, besides the fact that it's just spread through droplets. I, you know, I think with viruses, this has always been a possibility. Uh, we think about this, you know, just to be honest, for flu as well. We talk about flu as mostly being respiratory droplets. But I think everybody who's working in the field recognizes that there are these opportunities when a virus can be aerosolized. And we should always take as many precautions as we can, particularly in indoor spaces, uh, to reflect the fact that that's a possibility. Again, I think the primary route still remains these respiratory droplets, but it's a new virus, and uh, I'm, I'm always anxious for scientists to actually have the opportunity to do their work and try to actually 
do the research that's needed so that we get more definitive answers. But thank you. And we have time for one more question. Okay, and that will come from the line of Jackie Fortier with KPCC. Please go ahead, your line is open. Hi there, thank you again for having these press conferences. We do appreciate it. Um, Dr. Galley, if you could please explain what phase hospitals are in in implementing their surge plans. Um, are they being asked to cancel elective surgeries? And I'd also, uh, if you could give us an update on when you expect them to run out of ICU beds. Thank you. So uh, this is Barbara. I'm, I'm going to start um, just because uh, our, our health officer issued a letter on Saturday that really asked for their plans to be in place and for them to start figuring out ways to make sure that they were going to have enough hospital beds. Uh, we didn't ask for them to actually discontinue any part of their services. Uh, what we asked them to do is to make sure that they were freeing up beds. And we'd leave it up to the hospitals to come up with their strategies through their own planning efforts on how they're going to make sure that we have enough hospital beds to see the increasing number of patients. Uh, and I, I, I want to also just thank all of the hospitals. We obviously work extraordinarily closely with them and, uh, and know that these are always difficult situations because, in fact, sometimes the word elective is, is uh, very misleading uh, because these are actually essential services that people are needing to get from the hospital care system. And those really do need to continue. I think it's a matter of sort of figuring out how to get more beds available for the increased number of patients we continue to see. But I'll let Dr. Galley talk more about the surge capacity. Hi, thanks for the question. So as of this morning, there's 1,500 open hospital beds that are immediately available to take a patient uh, with COVID or with other conditions over and above uh, their current census. And that includes 10% of those beds, which are ICU. So that's about 150 open ICU beds at this point in time this morning. Uh, this is where the numbers have been. They bounce around a little bit, certainly day to day, but we do not see that that overall number of available beds is sharply declining at any certain trajectory. It's something we'll continue to monitor daily We'll also be doing an update on the hospital demand model for presentation on Wednesday, which will give you a more full picture about the slope of the curves and the rate of trajectory over the past week. But I will say that while cases keep climbing, they are at a, a flatter incline than what we projected last week. And then I also just want to reiterate what Dr. Ferrer said about they're really, it's a gray zone what is an elective procedure or an elective admission or an elective surgery. These things happen on gradations. Certainly there are some patients that emergently need an intervention and there's no option to wait, it would be uh, causing morbidity or mortality for the patient if there was uh, to be a, a wait. However, many patients, you can delay a procedure or surgery for a certain period of time. However, it can't be postponed indefinitely. So hospitals have to take all of this into account and look at the specifics of each patient case in deciding whether or not it can be safely delayed, uh, balancing what the demand is for beds at that particular moment in time and what the needs of the patients are. And then as Dr. Ferrer also indicated, the order to cancel surgeries or procedures would come as part of a health officer order. We'll now turn to remarks in Spanish. Buenas tardes. El, eh, sabemos que este fin de semana eh, fue un, un, un día festivo muy diferente al que hemos visto en años pasados. Y le queremos agradecer a todos um, los que han podido celebrar de una manera segura. También le queremos dar uh, los, las gracias a los negocios y a las personas que están trabajando tan duro para seguir los protocolos que estamos estableciendo y que ahora son más importantes que nunca. 
Sabemos que esto no es fácil, especialmente cuando uh, lo que esperamos de los negocios y de los individuos ha cambiado. Pero queremos recordar a todos que estamos en una nueva etapa de nuestra respuesta a COVID-19. Desafortunadamente, donde estamos hoy es muy diferente de donde estábamos hace unas cuantas semanas. Los casos y las hospitalizaciones están aumentando, principalmente como resultado por la pro propagación en la comunidad. Todos nosotros, los negocios, los individuos y el Departamento de Salud Pública, tenemos que estar dispuestos a tomar medidas rápidamente um, para uh, asegurar que cambie nuestra situación. Cualquier modificación que hacemos a la orden uh, del oficial de salud siempre es para prevenir más casos, para prevenir enfermedades más graves y para prevenir más eh, fallecimientos. Ahora, antes de actualizarnos, queremos agradecer a los medios de comunicación y a tantos otros por su paciencia uh, en los últimos días, ya que actualizamos nuestros sistemas de procesamiento de datos. Y como informamos ayer, tristemente, vimos nuestro mayor aumento de, de casos nuevos en solo un día, con un reporte de 3,187 casos el viernes. Para evitar más días con un alto número de casos, tenemos que volver a trabajar juntos y comprometernos de nuevo a nuestros esfuerzos para frenar la propagación de COVID-19. Para actualizarlos, Estamos tristes de reportar 48 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 3,534. El 93% de las personas que han fallecido a causas de COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Para las 3,283 personas que han fallecido donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, el 44% son latinos, el 27% son blancos, el 16% son asiáticos, el 11% son afroamericanos, menos de 1% son nativos hawaianos o isleños del Pacífico y el 1% se identificaron con otra raza etnicidad. Hoy también estamos reportando 1,584 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 116,570. Estamos reportando 732 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Y actualmente hay 1,921 personas con COVID-19 que están hospitalizados. Este es el número más alto que hemos tenido en varias semanas. 28% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y 18% de estas personas están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 802 entornos de perdón, congregación residencial y no residenciales con al menos un caso confirmado de COVID-19. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 20,108, incluidos el personal y los residentes. Y también nos da tristeza informar que 1,858 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19, lo que representa el 56% de todos los fallecimientos. La mayoría de estas personas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. 
también estamos reportando 3,001 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. 2,692 entre personas que están encarceladas reportadas por el Departamento del Aguacil y 309 empleados. Hay 185 casos en la prisión estatal y 760 en las prisiones federales. En las instalaciones juveniles hay 70 casos actualmente. El Departamento del Aguacil también reporta que eh, 50, perdón, 523 casos positivos entre el personal, 622 empleados están en cuarentena y 1,942 empleados han regresado a trabajar. El Departamento de Bomberos informa que 1,537 miembros del personal han sido evaluados para COVID-19. 102 empleados han dado positivo. 20 están aislados en casa. 56 han regresado al trabajo. Y 56 están enfermos en casa. También se han reportado más de un millón de resultados de pruebas de COVID-19 al Departamento de Salud Pública. Y el 9% eh, dieron resultados positivos. El promedio, el promedio de 7 días de tasa de positividad diaria es de 9.5%. First slide, please. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de 7 días del porcentaje diario de pruebas positivas en el transcurso de la pandemia. Se puede ver que hubo una caída significativa en la tasa de positividad como las pruebas se volvieron más disponibles y muchas personas sin síntomas se hicieron pruebas. Pero ha comenzado a aumentar en, en el último mes más o menos. Como se puede ver en eh, slide, next slide, please. Como se puede ver en el siguiente gráfico, hay un aumento significativo en el porcentaje de casos entre los residentes de 18 a 40 años. La línea verde ahora muestra que casi el 50% de los casos nuevos ocurren entre las personas más jóvenes que luego propagan esta infección a otros. Next slide. Pero ha habido un gran cambio en las últimas semanas, ya que las hospitalizaciones entre personas de 18 a 40 años, que es la línea azul, y las personas de 41 a 64 años, que es la línea roja, han aumentado. Y las hospitalizaciones para los mayores de 65 años han bajado. La tasa de hospitalizaciones para jóvenes y niños menores de 18 años se ha mantenido baja, aunque ha habido un pequeño aumento. A través del estudio Understanding America, que es, el, que es administrado por el Centro Dornsife de la Universidad del Sur de California, obtenemos una mejor comprensión de los comportamientos individuales que pueden estar contribuyendo al aumento en casos. Next slide. El porcentaje de residentes que han permanecido en su residencia en todo momento, excepto para actividades esenciales o ejercicios, sigue bajando. A principios de abril, el 86% de los residentes permanecían en su, en su casa. Ese número ha bajado con el tiempo y ahora es de 58, 58%. Next slide. 
la encuesta también muestra que el número de personas que entran en contacto cercano con personas que no son de su hogar está aumentando, aumentando al 55% del eh, 31% a principios de abril. Next slide. El porcentaje de residentes del condado que estaban preocupados por quedarse sin comida ha disminuido eh, significativamente. Next slide. Además, el porcentaje de residentes del condado de Los Ángeles con algún tipo de angustia psicológica también ha bajado en los últimos dos meses. Next slide. También estamos viendo el porcentaje de residentes del condado de Los Ángeles que, informan, que informaron que un brote podría perjudicar su seguridad financiera. Next slide. Con la reapertura, sin embargo, lugares de empleo uh, se están convirtiendo cada vez más en, en sitios de exposición, ya que casi el 43% de los residentes del condado de Los Ángeles tienen un trabajo que requiere un contacto cercano con personas a diario o casi a diario. Next slide. Y por último, hay un aumento en los residentes que están preocupados por levantar las restricciones demasiado rápido, con casi el 79% preocupados de que las restricciones eh, se levanten demasiado rápido en lugar de lo suficientemente rápido. Esto está claro que después de meses de cuarentena, combinado con la reapertura de muchos sectores, eh, en un lapso de varias semanas, muchos están haciendo caso eh, de las mismas prácticas que nos permitieron frenar la propagación. Eso no puede continuar. Nuestra incapacidad para seguir las directivas más básicas del control de distanciamiento y las de control de infecciones conduce a enfermedades graves. E incluso la muerte de las personas que amamos y la muerte de los seres queridos para otros. También requiere que desaceleremos el viaje a la recuperación. Lo que hacemos ahora determinará dónde estamos entre las próximas tres o cuatro semanas. Y tenemos que volver para entonces a reducir las hospitalizaciones diarias, menos casos nuevos y menos fallecimientos. And now we'll go ahead and proceed with, um, with remarks in Armenian. Barrior Bolorin. Շնորակալեմ վերահսկիչ մարմինների ողջ խորորդին։ Շնորակալեմ վերադաս բարգերեն այս համաճարակի ընթացքում նրա շարունակական ղեկավարման համար։ Ես ուզում եմ սկսել ասելով, որ հույսով եմ բոլորդ հուլիսի 4-ի հանգստյան օրերին հաճելի ժամանակ է կունացել։ Ես գիտեմ, որ այս տարվա տոնական հանգստյան օրերը տարբեր էին, քան անցալում։ Եվ ես բարձր եմ գնահատում բոլոր նրանց, ովքեր ապահովել են ապահովել են ապահով են տոնել։ Ես ուզում եմ նաև շարունակ շնորհակալություն հայտնել այն բիզնեսներին եւ անհատներին, ովքեր այդքան ջանք են գործադրում մեր կողմից դրված արձանագրությունները հավատարի մնալու համար, որոնք այժմ ավելի կարևոր են քան երբևէ։ Ես գիտեմ, որ դա հեշտ չէ, մանավանդ երբ բիզնեսները եւ անհատները սпасում են փոփոխություններ, ցավոք, այստեղ որտեղ մենք այսօր ենք տարբեր է, քան այնտեղ որտեղ մենք 2 3 կամ 4 շաբաթ առաջ էինք։ Դեպքերը աճում են, հոսպիտալացումները աճում են, հիմնականում համայնքի տարածման արդյունքում, 
բոլորս բիզնեսները, անհատները եւ հանրային առողջապահության վարչությունը պետք է պատրաստ լինենք արագ քայլեր ձեռնարկելու, քանի որ մեր իրավիճակը զարգանում է։ Եվ ինչպես երեք տեղեկացրեցինք ցավոք, մեկ օրվա ընթացքում տեսանք մեր ամենաբարձր թվով նոր դեպքերը, ուրբատ օրվա համար գրանցված 3187 նոր դեպքեր։ Դեպքերի բարձր թիվը կանխելու համար մենք պետք է վերահաստատենք տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու մեր բոլոր ճանքերը եւ բոլորս միասին գործենք։ Ներկա իրավիճակը հետեւյալն է։ Այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 48 մահվան մասին։ Այս մարդկանցից 33-ը 65 տարեկանից բարձր էին եւ որոնցից 28-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Տաս երեք անձի տարիքը 41-ից 65-ն է եւ տաս երկուսը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 3534-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ 3283 մարդկանց համար, ովքեր մահացել են, ռասա էթնիկական խումբը հետեւյալն է։ 44 տոկոսը լատինո լատինեքս, 27 տոկոսը սպիտակ, 16 տոկոսը ասիական, 1 տոկոսը հավայացիներ, 11 տոկոսը աֆրոամերիկացիներ եւ 1 տոկոսը մեկալ ռասա էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 93 տոկոսը ունեին առողջական խնդիրներ։ Ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջից առողջական լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինը սխուսափել սերտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1584 նոր դեպքերի մասին։ Եվ սա բերում է Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 116570։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Լոնգ Բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 4379 դեպքեր, իսկ Փասադենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1401 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 732 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկան շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 267 անձինք պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1921 մարդ, որոնցից 28 տոկոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 18 տոկոսը միացված են շնչառական օդափոխիչների։ Ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 802 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակ ատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 20108-ն են, ներառյալ անձնակազմը եւ բնակիչները։ Այս դեպքերից 12204-ը բնակիչներ են, 7904-ը անձնակազմ։ Ցավով ենք հայտնում որ 1858 մարդ, ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտուցիոնալ պայմաններում, մահացել են COVID-19-ից։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացածներից 56 տոկոսը բնակվում են հմուտ բուժքույրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք ցավում ենք այս կորուստի համար։ Զեկուցում ենք 3001 դեպքեր արցանագրվել են քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 
2692 դատապարտյալ եւ 309 աշխատակազմ 185 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում 128 բանտարկյալ եւ 57 աշխատակազմ 760 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում 741 բանտարկյալ եւ 15 աշխատակազմ 70 դեպք անչափասների հաստատություններում 27 բանտարկյալ եւ 43 աշխատակազմ Մենք տեղադրում ենք հաստատված դեպքերի եւ մահվանթիվը մեր կայքում աշխատողներին, բնակիչներին եւ ընտանիքներին տեղեկացնելուց հետո։ Եվ Լոս Անջելոսի շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող է տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacanada.gov Լոս Անջելոսի շրջանի շերիֆի վարչությունը զեկուցում է 523 դրական դեպք անձնակազմի մեջ 622 կարանտինի մեջ են 1942 վերադարձել են աշխատանքի Լոս Անջելոսի շրջանի հրշեջ վարչությունը զեկուցում է 112 դրական դեպքեր անձնակազմի մեջ 20-ը մեկուսացված են տանը 56-ը հիվանդ են տանը եւ 56-ը վերադարձել են աշխատանքի Ավելի քան 1.1 միլիոն մարդ տեստավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս Անջելոս շրջան, որից 9% դրական են։ Ես ուզում եմ քաջալերել ձեզ տեստավորվել, եթե ունեք ախտանիշներ տարածաշրջանային տեստավորման վայրերում։ Ժամադրության համար կարող եք այցելել covid19.lacounty.gov/testing։ Նոր նորմալ Պարզը որ կարանտինի ամիսներից հետո, որը զուգորդվում է մի քանի շափատվա ընթացքում բազմաթիվ ոլորտների վերաբացման հետ, շատերը հաշվի չեն առնում այն գործելակերպը, որը մեզ թույլ է տվել դանդաղեցնել տարածումը։ Դա չի կարող շարունակվել։ Մեր անկարողությունը հետևելու վարակի ամենահիմնական վերահսկման եւ հրավորությունը վերաբերվող հրահանգներից հանգեցնում է լուրջ հիվանդության եւ նույնիսկ մեր սիրելների մարդկանց մահվան։ Այն նաեւ պահանջում է, որ մենք դանդաղեցնենք վերականգնման ճանապարհը։ Այն ինչ մենք հիմա անում ենք, որոշում է թե որտեղ են գտնվում 3-4 շաբաթվա ընթացքում։ Եվ մենք պետք է վերադառնանք այն ժամանակին եւ կարող ենք իջեցնել ամենօրյա հոսպիտալացման քանակը, ավելի քիչ նոր դեպքեր ունենանք եւ ավելի քիչ մահեր լինեն։ գիտեմ որ հոգնել եք եւ հոգնել եք այս վիրուսից բայց սա հավերջ չէ որքան շուտ մենք բոլորս պարտավորվենք մի միանց հոգալու մասին այնքան շուտ մենք կվերադառնանք նոր նորմալի ստեղծելուն որտեղ մենք վերադառնալու ենք աշխատանքի դպրոցներ եւ մեր ընկերների եւ ընդլայնված ընտանիքների շրջապատում լինել սա հեշ չէ բայց շատ պարզ է խուսափեք ամբողջներից սահմանափակ տարածքներից, սեղմ կապերից։ Եվ ինչպես միշտ կրեք դիմակներ եւ ֆիզիկական հեռավորություն պահպանեք եւ երբ ձեր ընտանիքների անդամների հետ չեք։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. This concludes the press conference. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. 
My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.